Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. So when we think about the old Zen masters, Dogen in the 13th century... We were talking last week about technology and how we're using technology to communicate and to spread Zen information. And yeah. We think that they didn't have any technology, but they did. They had water wheels to turn millstones. They had locks to close gates yeah, and yeah, cities. Yeah, yeah, but let's stop living in the past. We Zen people, we love a thousand years ago, but let's think a thousand years in the future. It's about time that we think, what would a Zen master do if he had a starship? or a transporter beam, or a holodeck, or robots. Do Zen masters teach Buddhism to robots on other planets, man? This is the question. Okay, this is... Uh, okay, I know this is a pet project of yours because you've recently finished a manuscript for a book which is entitled... Zen of the Future. Zen of the Future, and it talks about Zen in the future. I just want to put in a little parenthesis. You're talking about the past and the future, but I thought Zen people were supposed to live in the now. No, we live in the now, but we also think about tomorrow. We think about the past, and that's present right now, but Dogen, the Buddha, thought about what these teachings would be 500, 1,000 years from their time. It's, we have to think what these teachings will be 500 or 1,000 years from our time. Does a robot have Buddha nature? Okay, well, that's a good question. We got a question from a listener who asked, is artificial intelligence sentient in the sense of all sentient beings, a very common expression in Buddhism? If not, do you see them becoming so in the future? You know, a, a funny thing happened on the Buddhist internet this week. There is a temple, a Rinzai Zen temple in uh, Kyoto, Japan, that uh, apparently paid a lot of money working with uh, one of Japan's best robot designers, and they built a robot Canon Bodhisattva. Canon is the, uh, how to say, the personification of compassion in Buddhism. We say a Bodhisattva, a kind of Buddhist saint. But this one is made of silicone and metal, man, and it's pre-programmed. And it preaches. It preaches the sutras. And the Buddhist monks were bowing down in front of the robot, lighting incense and treating this robot as if they would any Buddhist statue. But this one happened to move and talk and preach. Well, you know, a lot of the Japanese really dug this. And a lot of the foreigners were really offended by it. Ask me why they were offended. Why were the foreigners offended by something like this? It's, uh, it's not Buddhism. It's a Judeo-Christian thing. We cannot get over that our body is something special, that uh, we are, how to say, God in the flesh, you know, made in God's image. So there is something that offends us when we see a machine that starts to behave like we do. So canon is the Japanese name for what's also known in Chinese as Kuan Yin, 
which is the Buddha with a thousand arms. And it's right. true that no human could have a thousand arms. And it kind of makes sense to make a robot to have all those arms, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, the future, we're going to be teaching Buddhism with virtual reality. We're going to be using uh, all kinds of technologies to get this message across about Buddhism. Why can we not bow down in front of a robot if right now we bow down in front of a statue of wood? Or a statue of stone. What's the difference? Would you bow down in front of a robot, Kirk? Um, I don't see why not. And, uh, you know, in particular, you've often mentioned uh, in Tree Leaf that you don't need to have a Buddha statue. I think you have a rock on one of your altars. That's right. It, no, it no, just no. has to have something that has a meaning to yourself that you can give the personification of the Buddha to. Right, that's so right. if you, whether if it's you a robot, me, a rock, or a twig, it doesn't make that much of a difference. It's all about the way we're interpreting it. Right. If you ask me, the statue on the altar is a work of art. It's a reminder. It's like a picture, a painting. It's just, uh, this one's in wood, it's in 3D. So it's a reminder of the message of the Buddha. So when we bow, it's bowing to our own heart to kind of say thank you and to feel gratitude. Uh, there's nothing special about the statue. But if that statue happens to be pre-programmed to get up and walk and talk, and why not? Well, I think, so my thought is that it's pre-programmed, as you say, to walk and talk the same way a Barbie doll where you pull the string on the back is going to say a set number of phrases. Right. It wouldn't be actually thinking. It wouldn't be tailoring its phrases to whoever's listening to it. It would just say the same thing to everyone. For now. But yes, for now. They're going to get more complicated. And well, as there already get... is artificial intelligence that can carry on conversations. If you go to a website sometimes and there's a chat where you're asking for help, that may be just an AI behind it, or more technically an algorithm, that knows to look for certain keywords and to answer with certain answers to recommend things you do. But that's still a level way below uh, what the, the listener asked is artificial intelligence sentient? Will it ever actually be sentient, having its own feelings? Well, I live in Scuba, Science City, Japan. It's one of the main robot manufacturing towns in this country. We have robot factories that everywhere you look. And I get to talk to some of the robot scientists. Now, they can't fully predict the future, but there's a good chance that when the AI artificial brain reaches a certain level of complexity, you will have self-reflection, sentience, consciousness arising as an emergent property. You know, I, nobody knows yet the hard question what consciousness is. Nobody yeah, really... The hard question is a technical term among people who study this sort of thing. It's It's that it is so hard to figure out that some scientists and researchers think that we can never actually figure it out. We don't know how come we're feeling in here with what appears to be neurons in a brain. But there's a good chance like gravity just naturally emerges from mass, that light just naturally emerges from certain chemical reactions, that consciousness at a certain level will arise from complexity. And it may actually be existing all around us too. You know, I don't want to get that the whole universe is conscious. I'm not one of those people. But it is possible that it's a, it's a, it's a scale. The ant, it's 
almost conscious, not conscious. It's hard to say. You get to my cat. We love to talk about cats on this we podcast, like cats, don't we? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Quite obvious to me that there's something feeling, thinking, and self-reflective behind those eyes. The robot, my vacuum cleaner around the floor, is closer to the ant. So I don't know how conscious, self-aware that vacuum cleaner is. But when we do get to the level of the complex future artificial brain, we may be dealing with a sentient being. And the Buddha taught, honor sentient beings. Do not take sentient life. We must save the sentient beings. And if that sentient being happens to be an artificial sentient being, the rules still apply. That is going to bring up some very interesting ethical questions in the future. Sure. Of whether something that could actually be reproduced in a factory with its with its sentience downvoted to it, in other words, it could be cloned very easily, it could be mass-produced, um, would it be wrong to take its life? Assuming... You know, the the trolley problem that they talk about in philosophy. You've got a trolley coming up to a switch. Uh, on one side, there's a baby. On another side, there's 10 people. And you have to choose which way to go. If on one side, there was a sentient robot, and the other side, there was people, we would naturally choose to send it down the tracks toward the sentient robot, especially if we know that that sentient robot can be easily rebuilt. Well, it's, you know, we're getting to the Internet of Things, where even your refrigerator is going to be filled with AI, and if we reach a certain point where your refrigerator is sentient, even pulling the plug on your freezer could be murder. We have to start to think that in the future, we will be actually a combination of biology and machine. Well, some people already are. Someone actually posted on the Tree Leaf Forum the other day talking about his titanium implants in his knees and obviously, that's not a machine. That's just a replacement part. But there are people now, in particular soldiers who've had limbs amputated, who have mechanical limbs. They've gotten to the point where they can control the hand movements in these mechanical hands using the brain. So they've developed a, a rudimentary interface. It can't play a Mozart piano sonata, but it can grab things. And you may see interface directly to the brain. You may You may see... Uh, that our grand-grand-grand-grandchildren are as much machine or supplemented DNA as they are what we would recognize as human beings. We don't know clearly what the future holds, but if Buddhism is for all time, it's going to apply to those creatures too. But we don't know if these things already exist. You know, you said earlier that you talked to some of the robot scientists in the city where you live. Right. Did you mean the scientists that are robots or the scientists that work on robots? You see, Would you I, even know if they are actual robot scientists? Well, Kirk, I'm looking you right in the eye right now, and I'm still taking it for granted that you're sentient. We've never physically met, so yes. I, I think it's the old uh, Cartesian problem that I can't be sure really of pretty much uh, except anything except my own sentience, and even that I'm not too sure. Yeah. So in the future... We're going to face the old science fiction dilemma that there'll be super intelligent robots like Data from Star Trek. And we will not know, is he just a machine who is acting very human or is he actually feeling, loving, hating, feeling pain? 
And by the way, if you get machines that hate or can become violent, we definitely want them to be Buddhists because we want nonviolent machines, especially when it comes directed at us. Yes, that's a fair point. But then it really depends on who programs them. So that raises an interesting question. If it's a sentient being, but it's the programming that determines the way it thinks, then is it really sentient? Well, some people say that right now we have the illusion of free will, that there are all kinds of subliminal processes going on in our brain that make choices for us before we even realize we've made the choice, that we just are kind of passengers along for the ride, thinking that actually we're free and living our lives, when it's actually the chemistry within us that's living through us. So, in a sense, maybe we're biological robots even now. It's obvious that the autonomic nervous system works on its own. It tells our heart to beat. It tells us to breathe. We can slightly control our breathing. It controls our lymphatic system, our digestion, etc. But that doesn't really make us robotic. Well, Susan Blackburn is a, a fascinating scientist. She's a longtime Zen practitioner. She's also an expert in uh, neurology and brain research. She uh, sometimes... Uh, gives wonderful talks tying in the the falsity of feeling that you are a self in connection with modern brain research. And in many of her talks, she will say that a lot of what we take to be our choices, our feelings, our behavior is actually something going on deep inside us, way below the surface. And only at the top do we get the feeling that it's our decision when the decision was made within our brain long before. So in a sense, we're already, I won't say pre-programmed, but we're not quite as free as we think. So if the robot of the future also has the ability to choose and actually feels as we feel, feels love, feels pain, feels sadness, feels despair for the future or, or regret for the past, is that not the human condition? Does it matter that it's not carbon, it's silicone? I say no. I think I've mentioned this novel in a previous episode, but this reminds me of a book by a British author, Ian McEwan, called Machines Like Me, which addresses that very problem. It's a story about a man in his 30s who buys one of the first 12 real robots that look human and faces all of these questions about is it a robot or does it have actual feelings? Well, you know, you're going to have all kinds of ethical questions. There's already uh, a gentleman here in Japan, where I am, who has married a hologram. Uh, it's, a ho it's a musical hologram that's very popular. It represents a, a kind of animated pop star. And he had not a legal ceremony, of course, but he had a ceremony. He moved in with the hologram. He comes home every day from work and has dinner with his hologram. And apparently they're very happy together, or at least he is. I don't know how well, she he's feels happy about together. it. We don't know about the hologram. Right. But in the future, you will have marriages between men and women and their artificial others. If it's love, I say, you know, if nobody's getting hurt, go for it. Buddhism, religion, will have to deal with these questions. Is it ethical? Will it be right, for example, in the future for me to play a game in which I'm pretending I'm taking the life? Uh, there's that uh, uh, television show, uh, Westworld, 
where people go to a world and they pretend they're killing robots that appear to be humans. From a Buddhist standpoint, if it's the same anger in the heart, if it's the same violence and you forget that you're only killing a machine, I say that's almost as bad as actually killing a human being. These are actual questions we will have to deal with because people are now killing in video games. My son has a video game here and I walked in the room the other day and he's walking through a room with a rifle, you know, slaughtering. And I said, didn't I raise you in a Buddhist household? And you're, how many people have you killed today? And he went, dad, no, 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 they're not real. They're not real. It's okay. I'm not so sure about that. Now, I don't think he's feeling that anger in his, in his heart. The thought but... of killing is still there, even if they're not real. And well, I don't know. The, what's the line between the thought of killing something on a screen and the thought of killing something real? I would say the real anger and hate uh, and violence in his heart. I don't think he, he really has that when he's playing the game. I think he's just playing for points and numbers. and uh, that That's a different story. But if someone is really, really feeling violence, to kill a robot, I think, is just as bad as to kill a human being. Well, to kill a sentient robot, if the robot's sentient. Even worse. Here's something else I was thinking of. If a robot is sentient but cannot reproduce, right? isn't that a big dividing line between what we know is sentient life and what's artificial? Well, what do you mean reproduce? Do you mean sexually reproduce? Maybe no, but robots will be de designing even more advanced robots soon. And that's actually the great threat to the human species, because sooner or later, the robots are going to design robots that don't need us anymore. And that's the point where we really want to put into their programming the fact that thou shalt not kill a human being, like Asimov's rules. But if they're truly sentient, then they would be able to get around those rules. Well, that would be the robot lawyers, I'm sure would find <laughs> loopholes in that. It always comes back to the lawyers, doesn't it? Yeah. But as long as, uh, as, long as we can... Uh, we want to be on good terms with our robots because we want to teach them that they need to be kind to their pets and their test animals because those pets and test animals may be us, you see. They may become the advanced species. We may actually be designing now the next species that replaces us. Our robot overlords. Our robot children. Well, it depends. If they replace us, they would become our overlords. But for, for better or for worse. And in some ways you can imagine... So let's look at a utopian point of view. Uh, if all these robots could do all the physical work that we used to do, that would leave us more time to create, to, to grow personally. To meditate. To meditate, to do all sorts of things to further ourselves. Of course, some people will choose to just vegetate rather than meditate. But would that be an appropriate alternative that the robots are freeing us to have all this time and we would have to look at life in a different way? As long as there has been a market society, a capitalist society, humans have always had to work to live. And if we no longer had to work in order to have our life, that would change an awful lot of the way we think. Well, yes and no. I, I still was hoping years ago when the internet started and, and the personal computer that it would actually free us to have more time for self-study and the arts, to learn languages, to travel, to be working two hours a day like George Jetson. Remember him? He'd go in, he'd push a button, and he was done for the day. Yeah. But it didn't turn out that way. People are working twice as hard, and 
they've become enslaved to their cell phone and enslaved to their PC. But I'm still hoping that the technology of the future will allow more of us to have leisure time. And leisure time has always been a gift to Buddhism because Buddhists need to practice basically on their non-productive leisure time. There's a time to work in the field and do your labor and a time to study, a time to sit. And if the robots give us more of that time, I think it's wonderful. But you know something, Kurt? The robots are going to be better Buddhists than human beings in many ways. Ask me how. Well, I think I can already answer that because they will sit every day at specific times for an amount of time. There won't be any of that um, <laughs> that itch in the back of your mind saying, oh, I really don't have time to sit this morning, will there? Well, that, that's exactly right. But they may not need many of the lessons of Buddhism that people need. For example, we feel like separate individuals, and so much of Buddhism is to feel that we are part of the whole. Like we said in the, a couple episodes back, you know, being one with everything. Yes. But if a computer is already plugged into great networks, where its sense of being an individual or being the conglomerate is already very ambiguous, it may not need the lesson that we need that one is the wholeness and the wholeness is one. And if a computer, for example, just shuts part of itself off, is that killing? Maybe not. It's just a reallocation of resources. Maybe it will be impossible for a computer to steal because it's all part of the whole and it cannot steal from itself. So many of the ethical questions, many of the questions about uh, separation and individuality that plague human beings and the suffering that results may not be a problem for the computer. And will these computers be able to attain enlightenment? They may already be enlightenment. There's a wonderful Korean film. Actually, I'm going to say, actually, the Korean film is okay. There's one section of a Korean film that's very interesting about a Buddha robot. And the company that designed it thinks it's a defect and they want to unplug the robot. And the robot, of course, is nonviolent, so is willing to allow them to do this. But in the meantime, the words, the wisdom that is coming from the mouth of the robot to aid the human beings around is just beautiful. And in that case, I think that robots can be designed to overcome many of the weaknesses that plague us as humans. That's why I say there are children. They may, you say, are overlords. I think they may be our improvements. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that we may be designing the species that will take over for us on this planet, just like we replaced the Cro-Magnon man. We are now designing the creatures, a terrible word, the beings who will be the future of this universe. And don't be afraid, we will be part of them, just like my ancestors are part of me now. We will be their ancestors. So if a computer can attain enlightenment and become a Buddha, and there can be countless computers, then kind of like the old sutras that talked about countless Buddhas. Oh, sure. sure so I guess the Lotus Sutra isn't that crazy after all. Oh, no, no, no. And, you know, part of this, I also in my book uh, go into uh, uh, virtual reality. And uh, as opposed to just opening a sutra book, in the future you'll be able to 
to beam the Lotus Sutra experience right into all your senses. You'll taste it. You'll see it. You'll smell it. You will be standing there on Vulture Peak as the Buddha lectures to thousands of bodhisattvas as far as the eye can see. You will be one of them and you will actually have the experience of being there. Uh, that will be one of the things we'll be doing, plugged into AI while the robots are doing all the work for us. Okay, that is going to give me a lot to think about until our next episode. So where do we go from here, Roshi? I have no idea, but it is the future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating, tell your friends, you can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.